0: Father's Day. Father's Day is, is just, it's one of those days where you can think back and you think of memories of when you were, you know, when the kids were growing up. I have a story that I've shared before, but it's one of my favorite stories when it comes to, um, with my kids. And it's my oldest daughter, Jessica, who's now 22. And yes, I know, I, you know, I had, I had her when I was six. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, we, we had a, a little trouble when she was younger. You might be able to relate to this as parents where it was bedtime and it was a struggle because when it's bedtime for us, it wasn't bedtime for her. And so we'd put her to bed and she'd be in bed and she'd be like, dad, I need a drink. And I'd be like, you know what? At this time, I'm not giving you a drink because I know what's going to happen in three hours. Your mother's going to have to go change the bed. So, so I said, you're not getting a drink. And she's like, Dad, I really need a drink. And she just kept persisting. And I just kept saying no. And it finally came to the point where I was like, all right, that's enough. I'm frustrated. And we all have it. As parents, we have the voice. We don't like to pull out, you know, but sometimes we, just, we have to pull out the voice. So I used the voice, and I said, if I hear one more word out of you, I'm coming in. So there's silence, and I was thinking, the voice worked. A second later, I hear, Okay, Dad, and when you come, can you bring a drink? <laughs> and I was like, you know, at that point, what do you do? You know, you just basically just give up and get a drink. So, But Father's Day, it's, it's, a, it's a fun time, good memories. And another one I, I, I have is, when <clears throat> all my kids were young, we used to do this thing called wrestle bed where the kids would, would get into bed when they were real young, and, and we'd have this thing where whoever f- touched the floor lost. And I only did this until they were probably like six, because I could always win. But they'd get in bed, we'd push each other around, kick each other, do whatever it was to get them on, onto the floor. And with Jessica, it was pretty easy. You know, I could just you know throw her, and do, I, I won, and we're done. And then Christian came along, and I, I ended up with four kids, and there were times we'd have four kids on this bed trying to you know, wrestle each other. and just, It was just so much fun. And how creative kids can be to where we said if you touch the floor, you lose. So what they would do is they'd throw blankets on the floor and pillows. And then they'd get on the floor and they'd stand on them saying, I'm not touching the floor, and they'd try to pull me off and, like that. And I'm sitting there going, boy, they learned to cheat like so early. It's like, But I blame that on their mother. So um, we're going to be talking about a cheater this morning we're gonna talk. We're going to be talking about somebody who schemed and deceived, and 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 wrestled, and and we're gonna be looking at Jacob. We've been kind of going through Jacob's life. We've been looking at his life and some of the deceiving, the scheming, the the cheating that he had he had done, and now we're gonna to look today at how it's starting to catch up with him, and how now he's running for his life, because all those people that he had been cheating and and, and deceiving are now pretty upset with him, and they're coming after him. <clears throat> and one of those is his brother. So Jacob had a wrestling match that changed his life. And that's what we want to we want to look at. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 and, and look at that in a few minutes. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a Bible in the chair um, seat in front of you. So, Jacob, we realize that Jacob, and we're going to see this in a little bit, his name is changed to Israel right after um, the, the passage that we're going to be looking at. And Jacob has 12 sons. And when, when Israel becomes a nation, Israel has 12 tribes. Each of the tribes is after a son of Jacob. So there's 12 tribes in Israel after, after each one of the sons that Jacob has. What we don't realize sometimes is that Jacob had four different women that he had those kids with. He had his wife Leah, who he had some, some kids with. Leah had a servant. He had two kids with her. And then he had Rachel, his second wife. She had a servant. He had two kids with her servant, and then two kids with Rachel. And so when we look at Israel, we, we look at the makeup there, we realize it's not as kind of clean and neat as, as sometimes we think it is. And, and so Jacob, as he's, as he's going through and he's having these kids, realizing that these kids will be forming a nation, the nation of Israel and so, we, we talked about this already. We look at Jacob's life, the deceiving, the scheming, the cheating. This man had issues. Think about where we're at when we're, we're starting to look at this passage today. Jacob's father's probably disappointed in him because of what he'd done as far as stealing the blessing and the birthright from his brother. And then his brother Esau wants him dead because of what he had done. And then his uncle and in-laws are chasing after him. And then to top it off, he's got two wives. The only good thing about that, it's only one mother-in-law. All right, because they're sisters. So, and I, I'm sorry, I know that, you, I, I'll, I'll get emails later, but that's all right. Spam. Um, so, uh, but we look at this and we say, he's got a lot going on. He's got two wives that are fighting, and all these other things. People chasing him, his brother wants him dead, chasing after him. And so we, we come into this, and we, and we realize Jacob is scared. He's scared because he knows what he's done. And he knows that now it's starting to catch up to him. And so he starts wrestling with God. But he's been wrestling from the very beginning. If you know the story of Jacob and Esau, they were twins. And they were fighting in the womb. Before they came out, they were fighting. So Jacob is used to fighting before he was even born. So he learned to do this before he even came into the world. He's sitting there fighting in the womb with his brother. They come out, and it basically says that he's holding on to the heel of Esau. You know they're in there kind of fighting, fighting for position, trying to figure out who's going to come out first here. And he's holding on to the heel as as Esau comes out. And so that's how it starts out. There was a there was a wrestler back in back in um, the 80s when I was when I was in. The, real young, in the 70s, I had cousins that, that would watch wrestling on TV, but it wasn't the wrestling that we think of. I mean, this was like the fake wrestling. I know some of you are going to be like, wrestling's fake, but there is some wrestling that's actually fake. And, you know, they get up on the ropes and, they, and they'll and they dive off and they'll do these things. Andre the Giant is out there, you know, and, and so my cousins love this stuff. They love to watch this stuff. And then they loved to practice this stuff. Not realizing that it wasn't real. And so I would go over to the house and I would literally have to be looking around because they would come jumping off bunk beds or the roof or I'd walk by the barn and they'd become flying off a loft. And they were just nuts like this. But there was a guy they loved and it was Jake the Snake was a wrestler. And I thought that would be a great name for Jacob in the book of Genesis. Jake the snake, because you look at all the stuff he did, man, he was a snake. If you were close to him, he was probably going to take something from you. He was going to probably do something that was going to make you mad. <clears throat> and so we look at that and we say, Jacob was, he was a troublemaker. <clears throat> and and again, his name kind of bears that out. So if your name is Jacob, you basically have no chance. You're going to be a troublemaker and a deceiver and a, you know, a swindle. So, good luck. So, um, but we look at Jacob's life. And we say, when we wrestle with God and try to do things our own way, the way Jacob did, and that's what I want us to get to. I don't want us to just look at a story in Genesis and walk out and say, oh, that was a nice story, let's go on and enjoy Father's Day. I want to look at it and say, what does this mean for me? What can I take from Jacob's life and apply to my own life? Because Jacob wrestled with always trying to do things his own way. He wanted to do things his way. And he constantly fought with that. And he constantly wrestled with that. Again, we're in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to start with verse 22. If you want to follow along here. Genesis 32, start with verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up. "...took his wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, "'Let me go, for the dawn is breaking.'" But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God's face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. So we look at this, and Jacob is now all alone. He's sent off his family, and the reason he did that is because his brother Esau is coming after him. And we're going to look at that in a second, but he's got 400 men that are coming to meet him. And Jacob's thinking, there's no way that's going to end up good. When I've got 400 men of Esau who I cheated out of everything that he deserved. And now they're coming you know, to, to get me here. So the first one we look at is, from this, is, is a, three points that I want us to kind of get out of this. First one is, Jacob had to get alone with God. Jacob had to get alone with God. So God had to get Jacob by himself. And we talked about this earlier when we talked about the mission trip. In our normal life, when we go day to day in our normal life, we get into a routine and we don't really start to even think. We just kind of do. And that's why just this past week, I was all messed up. Because during the school year, I go, I got a routine and we go. Once summer hits, man, my life is all out of whack. Thursday, all day Thursday, I thought it was Friday. All day Friday I'm thinking of Saturday and it up till today, so happy Monday. But it's just kind of I look and I say like I was all out of out of whack my my schedule and everything like that and, and so I'm sitting there trying to plan things out and all of a sudden I realize dude I'm a day behind. Which can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on what what's going on that day. But that's what's happening is is Jacob is so into kind of the busyness and the routine that he's not really thinking about what is it that God wants. What is it that God wants? So God says, I'm going to get you alone. And we look back in 1 Kings. 1 Kings, Elijah is in the same situation. He's running for his life because the queen is is trying to kill him. So he's scared. He's running. He gets off by himself in a cave, and that's when he hears God's voice because he's been so busy running and doing so many things that God at times was whispering, and Elijah couldn't hear him. He gets to this cave, and God whispers, and Elijah realizes that God's there. And that's what Jacob had to do. Jacob had to get out of the busyness of his schedule, busyness of what was going on around him, the fear and everything else, get alone with God and hear what God wanted to say. And so, so Jacob is there now, because when we're alone with God... That's when we get to be honest. When we're alone with God, we can find out who we really are and who God wants us to be. Because we can go through life and we can fool ourselves and we can fool those around us into thinking that we're pretty good. We can fool people into thinking that we've got it together and that God's going to be pleased with us because of how we're living our life. Because most times what we do is we compare ourselves to those walking beside us. And we say, yeah, you know what? I've done some pretty bad things. I've done some things that I know God isn't pleased with. But look at that person. I'm not like them. I mean, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as them. And so we start to kind of think, I'm all right. But when we get alone with God, and it's just God and us, the only person that we compare ourselves to is God. And when we compare ourselves to God, we realize how how far short we fall. When we compare ourselves to God's perfection, and God says, "That's what I want from you." I don't want you to compare yourself to that person next to you. I want you to compare yourselves to me. Compare yourselves to Jesus Christ. And say, "Am I okay?" And if we're honest, we're going to say no. We're going to say, no, I don't match up. And that's what God wants us to do, is have that conversation, get alone with God, and say, I'm not perfect. But that's what God requires of me. And to have a relationship with God, to spend eternity with God, the Bible says, you've got to be perfect. And none of us in here are perfect. Perfect. So that's why Christ came. He paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And the Bible says that if we believe that He took our place, that He died on that cross for us, the Bible says that He covers us. He covers us with His perfectness. So when God looks down, He sees perfection. Not our perfection, because we're going to constantly, continually mess up. But He sees Christ. Perfection wrapped around us and we're accepted because of that That's what the gospel. That's what the Bible is all about Is understanding that Christ wants to wrap himself around you and I So that God accepts us Jacob had to get to the point where he realized he wasn't perfect His focus was on others. His focus was on other things, but it wasn't on God we're going to look at some verses here. Genesis 28:13 It says, At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and He said... <clears throat> this is Jacob. I am... To Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. It starts out, I am the God of your grandfather, and the God of your father. Then we go to Genesis 31. In fact, if the God of my father, Jacob says, had not been on my side... The God of Abraham and the fearsome fearsome God of Isaac. So again, the God of my grandfather, the God of my father. Then we go to Genesis 32, 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Do you notice a common theme here? Who is God to Jacob? To Jacob... God is the God of his grandfather, the God of his father. You don't read where he's the God of Jacob. He's always the God of his grandfather or his father. And so Jacob comes to a point where he's, he's got to wrestle with that. He's got to wrestle with, what is it that I do with God? Who is God to me? Because God, up to this point, has always been the God of his grandfather and the God of his father. But he's never been the God of Jacob. So, Genesis thirty-three twenty. So, after the, the, um, Genesis 32, we get to the next chapter. And this is where he writes, "...but there he built an altar and named it el Eli israel Which means, God of Israel. Which is important, because remember... His name was changed from Jacob to Israel. So after this wrestling match is when you finally hear Jacob call God the God of Israel, the God of Jacob. But it wasn't until he came to that point of wrestling with, with what, that was, what that was like. See, Jacob felt like he had to do it himself. He felt like he had to save himself. He got into these messes. He's going to find a way to get himself out of it. And and when he when he realized that he couldn't do that and he was wrestling with God, realized he needed to rely on God to do that. See, God wrestled with Jacob and it could have been easy. It could have been easy for God because this is God coming down in the form of man to wrestle with Jacob. And it's interesting as you read this, it talks about the fact that says that he couldn't conquer Jacob. And you look at it and you say... That doesn't make a lot of sense, that God couldn't win a battle, a wrestling match against Jacob. But when you look at it, you realize that it wasn't physically that God was trying to conquer Jacob. God wanted Jacob's will. God wanted Jacob to submit to him. Conquering him physically doesn't mean anything. I can go and wrestle my kids, and I can conquer them and say, I won. But if I want them to love me, that doesn't do it. It's got to be where their will chooses to do that. In the same way that we choose to love God. Jacob had to choose to want to seek after and follow after God. So he, he didn't want it to be aware it's like, all right, I conquered you physically, now... You know, we're good. He, God said, I want you to submit. I want to be your God. He didn't want it to be like that, that kid that, that's sitting in the corner. The mother says, Go sit in the corner. Not, none of you have ever done that, but I think maybe once I did that where I said, Just go sit there. And the mother says, finally yells out and says, Are you sitting? And some of us have these kids. You know you do. She said, the, the daughter says, Yes, I'm sitting, but in my head, I'm standing. And that's, and that's what's happening here with Jacob, is that I look like I'm doing what you want, God. But in my head, I'm doing anything I want to do other than that. So God had to get Jacob to finally submit. Finally start, stop fighting and kicking and screaming. And give up and give it to God. I remember when I was training to be a lifeguard, I I was going to go work at this camp for a year. And they said, we want you to be a lifeguard. I was like, I can barely swim. I said, like, if, the, if the pool's like three feet, then I'm good. Let's go. I had to go and I had to do the lifeguard training, which seems like if anyone's done this, it changes like month to month. Like there's new rules and, and things in place. But then it was like you go in. We had a group of 10 of us. We had to go. We had to jump into the 10 foot, go down to the very bottom, sit in a circle on the bottom of the 10th foot of the pool, take a brick and pass it around the circle three times before we came up. First couple times we did this, there was always somebody who bobbled it. And we were calling them names that you couldn't understand because it was like, you know, but we're just like yelling at them. It's like, are you trying to kill us? And we have to come up and we're all like, you know, trying to find the person so we can like choke them. Go back down. So we finally got it to where we could do that. And you're like, okay. I got this. I don't have any idea how that's going to help me save anyone unless it's a brick. But so we're doing this training and they finally, they came up with this thing. They said, here is what we want you to understand. If you're going out to a lake or an ocean or even a pool and that person is kicking and screaming and they're not willing to give up and they're going to kick and scream. What they told us that they said in the end, make sure you don't cause two people to drown. So in other words, don't let that drowning person bring you in and drown you as well. They said there are going to be times when you have to let them kick and scream until they finally give up and they're ready to go under and that's when you grab them and you bring them in. There are times when you have to do that. In the same way, that's what God has to do with us sometimes. Because God wants us. He wants to save us. He wants what's best for us. But we're kicking and we're screaming. And so sometimes God says, I'll let you kick and I'll let you scream. And when you're ready to go under, and you call out, I'll be there. Sometimes that's what God has to do to get us, to get our attention. Because He wants all of us. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just part of us. And in, in the wrestling theme, for me, personally... God wants a full Nelson, not a half Nelson. All right? Thank you. I'll be here all week. So, thank you. Thank you. So, but if your name is Matt, it doesn't even work. It's like, God wants a full Matt, not a half Matt. (laughs) What? So, that's why I'm blessed with the name I have. So, but that's what God wants. God wants all of us. If we say, God, I'll give you part of us, God says, I'll wait. Until you're willing to submit and humble yourself and go before God and say, "I can't do it on my own," God says, "I want all of you." So, so Jacob had to get alone with God. The second thing was, it was Jacob's prayer, not it was Jacob's prayer that saved him, not his scheming and his planning. See, Jacob knew how to plan and scheme, and sometimes he thought that was what was going to get him through and what was going to save him. Genesis 32, starting with verse 9. This is Jacob's prayer. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and, and God of my father Isaac. We see that again. O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. This is the key here. Jacob says, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Jacob had to get to the point where he humbled himself and he said, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. It wasn't his planning or his scheming that did it, that changed the final outcome. It was his prayer that started that process. Of humbling his heart before God. And the third thing we look at is that God will change our life for the best if we allow Him. God wants the best for you, God wants the very best for your life. But we've got to allow Him to do that. We've got to allow Him to show His mercy, grace, love, His patience, and His forgiveness. You look at just in Jacob's life, how God had to show those things to Jacob. Show his mercy. Show his love. Show his patience. His forgiveness. We've got to come to that place where we realize, like Jacob did, that God doesn't have grandchildren. Just because he may be the God of your father, the God of your grandfather, doesn't mean... He's your God. And I fear that's where the stumbling block comes in a lot of times. People feel like, I've been raised in a Christian home. I went to church. I'm good to go. But until we come to that point of submitting to God, God is just going to be your father's God, your grandfather's God. But it will never be your God. I have parents that come up to me all the time. And they come up and say, I'm really worried because my teenager is questioning their faith. They don't know if they really believe all this stuff about the Bible. And I tell them something that sometimes gets a curious look from the parents. I said, you know what, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Because all of us at one point or another have or will wrestle with who God is. You wrestle with God. Is Maybe you did it when you were a kid. You wrestled with it. You figured out that God is the God who loves me and I need to give my life to him. Or maybe it's not till later. But we all come to the point where we have to wrestle through. Is this really what I believe? As a teenager, a lot of times what happens is you wrestle with, this is what my parents believe. This is what my church believes. But I don't know if this is what I believe. I look at that as an encouraging sign. Because they're not just going to coast through and say, I'm just going to live off my parents' coattail. They're now trying to figure out, is this what I want for my life? And if they're doing it in high school, when they're under your roof, and you have the church to support you, what better place for them to wrestle with that? Because I've seen way too often, I've been in youth ministry over 30 years, working with teenagers. That's why I look like I do. And I got these twitches that just, I can't get rid of. But I've done this enough to where I see kids go through and it looks like they're super. They're doing great. I've had kids that I'm like, wow, you know what? You are set. You are going to do great things for God. I hear four years later that one of these girls that graduated ended up marrying a, she was 22 years old, ended up marrying a 45 year old guy and just, her life was a wreck. Just a mess. And I looked at it and said, how could that happen? She had never had to wrestle through what, who God was until she got out of high school. And when you start to wrestle, when you're in college, if your kids go off to college and they're, then they're going to start to wrestle with who God is, do you think the first call they're going to make is to, to the parents and say, hey, I need some help here? It could happen. And praise God if it does. But a lot of times they'll run to a professor. They'll run to a friend they run to someone else. And that's why you see so many kids messed up when they leave high school when it comes to their faith because they don't understand it. And the people they're asking don't understand it. So if they come to the point where they're wrestling with their faith and who God is, take that as a, as a chance to say, all right, God, let's do something here. Don't look at it as a terrible thing all the time. And Jacob had to do that. He had to wrestle with God. Who are you? Who are you really? In my life. And once we've wrestled with God. When Jacob wrestled with God. The end of that. There's something pretty important that I want you to to look at as we leave here. Something happened to Jacob. At the end of those verses in Genesis 22. 32, sorry. It says, the sun was rising as Jacob left. And he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Remember, God touched his hip. And he knocked that out of his socket. Jacob now walked around like this. See, i got like plantar fasciitis and I've got a bone sore on my foot. So basically, I'm very spiritual because I got the limp that Jacob had. But we go through and he was limping because of that confrontation with God. My question for you is you leave here. Will you leave here limping? Because God has touched your life. Because that limp for Jacob was a constant reminder of that confrontation he had with God. Every time he limped, if someone came and said, hey, why are you limping? God hit my hip. You know, that's pretty cool if you can say that. But we need to have a limp in our life. We need to have something in our life that says, you know, what? I've had That meeting with God. And I've submitted my life to God. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the limp. The times when you've got to touch us in a way that may not be pleasant. To get us to understand who you really are. We thank you for Jacob's life, for what we can learn from that. That you took a deceiver, a schemer, a cheater, and you caused him to be the father of a great nation. I pray that as you look at our lives, you would look into our hearts, Lord, and help us to have that humble prayer that Jacob had. God, we're not worthy. I'm not worthy but i praise you that you still love me In jesus name amen